invite you to take your scriptures this morning and turn back to that passage in Luke 24 that we referred to in our scripture reading this morning. I don't know if, like me, you were required when you were going to school in English literature to read the book Great Expectations, but I did, and I didn't like it then, but I like it now. Um, It's a classic novel by Charles Dickens, and if you've read it, you'll know there's a number of pretty unusual fictional characters in it, whether it's Pip, the poor peasant boy, or Estella, who's the rich, kind of snobby heiress. There's Abel Magwitch, who defies all imagination. He's an escaped convict. And certainly, last but not least, Miss Havisham, who is really difficult to figure out altogether. But what's true of all of these characters is that during the book, they all have the highest of hopes. But before their hopes can ever become reality, they die by various means. For example, Miss Havisham, when you read about her in the novel, you think at first that she's just an aging, eccentric, wealthy woman. Um, But you find out that something has really gone wrong in her life. She is incredibly bitter. And you find out that the result of her bitterness and her loss of hope is that many years previous, she was jilted. See, she was stood up at the altar on her wedding day. And since that day that her fiancé didn't show up for the wedding, the clocks in her mansion, Dickens says, had stopped at 20 minutes to 9. That was the exact time that she received the letter from her fiancé that the wedding was off and he wouldn't be showing up. See, the hopes of her marriage had died. The clocks had stopped but also Mrs. Miss Havisham had stopped living. If you read the book, you'll find it's a little weird, but from that day forward, she never took her wedding dress off. And all the cake and the food had been prepared in the reception hall was still sitting there, though all, after all of the years, the mice had eaten it away, and it, it just sat there, rotten and decayed. Repeating this story and telling it to Pip for the first time in his ears, she writes these words. On the day of the year long before you were born, this heap of decay was brought here. It and I have grown, I should say, worn old together. The mice have gnawed at it, and sharper teeth than the teeth of mice have gnawed at me. Like Mish Havisham, the two people on the Emmaus Road that day that were walking together, they also had great expectations. His name is Cleopas and his companion, which I believe to be his wife, and I'll show you that in a minute. They were walking down, if you look at verse 14 and 15, they were walking down the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. You see, they were leaving Jerusalem because their hopes had been in Jesus. And since he had died, they thought there's no more purpose to be in Jerusalem. So they were leaving. They were walking the seven miles. And the Bible says in verse 15, they were talking and discussing. In fact, the word discussing is a word that means to debate. It means to dispute back and forth. So they're not just talking about the events. They're disputing it because their problem is they don't get it. They haven't figured out Friday 
the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, especially the kind of death that he experienced, the crucifixion, had completely and utterly dashed their hopes. Luke frames his gospel out in the beginning in the birth narrative of Jesus with two people, Simeon and Anna, and this is recorded of them. They were waiting for the kingdom of God. Chapter 23 in the death story of Jesus, it says the very same line of Joseph of Arimathea who had Jesus' body buried. It said he too had been waiting for the kingdom of God. In fact, the whole book of Luke is like a story about people who are waiting for Jesus to come and be the king. And when he did not turn out to be the kind of king that they thought he was, they lost their hope. See, Miss Havisham lost her hope at the altar that day. Cleopas and his wife, they lost their hope at the cross on that day. For them, the, stop, the clocks of their life stopped at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, of which they would not have called good. And on that moment, their hope stopped as well. But what about your great expectations? What about you and what you're hoping in? What was the event or the things that happened in your life that have caused the clocks to stop for you? Sharper teeth, that's what she said. Sharper teeth than the teeth of mice have gnawed at me. What's gnawing at you? What is the thing like these two on the road that you're always talking about? And perhaps it's even happened a while back, perhaps weeks, months, maybe even years. But you're still talking about it. You're still telling the people around you the story. You just can't wrap your mind around the event or the things that have happened in your life. And to those of you this morning who are looking for hope, I want to tell you this. Jesus is your only hope. He's the only hope you'll ever have, and he's the only hope that you will ever need. And I want you to let that phrase sink deep into your mind and into your heart this morning. See, your hope will only come alive if it's dead. It can only come alive if you understand who Jesus is and what he did. So we're going to take just a few minutes we have left and unpack and look at the couples and their conversation and see two things in the words that they speak to Jesus. Number one, when hope dies, and simply number two, when hope lives. And as we talk, please, in these few minutes we have left in our Easter service, would you do this? Would you constantly ask yourself the question, when did my hope die? And how can my hope come alive? See, hope dies when Jesus is not your hope. More specifically, hope dies in your life when Jesus and his death and his resurrection is not your ultimate hope. In verse 15, it reads, if you look in your text, in Jesus, notice, himself. The same little phrase is used at the second time Jesus appears, not our text this morning, in verse 36. Jesus himself. This is a personal visit. Jesus is taking the time to meet with people to confront them about who and what they put their hope in. And I believe with all my heart that you are not here this morning by coincidence, not by accident, but by providence. Because Jesus himself 
designed for you to be here this morning because he wants to confront you about the same question he confronted Cleopas and his wife. And he wants to ask you this morning, what are you really hoping in? See, the Bible says as they are walking down the road, Jesus drew near and he's standing there and he's talking with them. But it says that their eyes were kept, verse 16, from recognizing him. The word recognize is a weird, it's a strange word. It means to grab someone and is often used to talk about people who are being arrested. It's a verb that's in the passive voice and that means this, that they couldn't see and recognize Jesus. This fog of Friday had taken over their lives and this was divinely imposed. And I'm gonna tell you why in a little bit. But for now, Jesus made it such that he's standing right in front of them, talking with them, and they have no clue who he is. Friday fog had taken over their minds. It had seized their hopes. It had arrested their great expectations. And they really do not know what Easter is about. And the crazy thing is, is that Cleopas was a follower. His wife, his name, her name is Mary, is rich, written in John 19, 25, that she was at the cross. He had heard stories of women, verses 22 through 24 in our text. Women had come to the tomb. He knew them. He had talked to them. See, his wife was at the cross, saw Jesus die. He had heard about the tomb. They had seen Jesus for themselves before all of this took place and watched the events unfold. They had seen it all, but they had never really seen it. Do you know what's possible? And I sat in my seat last night at the Easter drama, and people are up here reacting. Jesus is dying on the cross. The tomb is open. You got to come, like the commercial. They see it, but they've never really seen it. You know, perhaps you grew up in church your whole life. You're Methodist, Lutheran, Catholic, whatever. You know the story of Jesus and how he was, uh, died on the cross and the empty tomb. You know it. You've seen it, but you've never really seen it. You see, when Friday fog has seized you, Verse 20, chapter 24 and verse 11, it says, when everybody told them the stories of what had happened, to them it was idle tales, it's translated, literally utter nonsense. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. They had this problem, watch, it's the problem we have. They couldn't fit Jesus' death into their hopes. They couldn't. This is what they were hoping and this is what happened to Jesus. And in their mind, they couldn't put them together. Oh, they knew about him, and they knew some things about him, and they were good things, but they didn't really know who he was. See, look at verses 18 and 19. Here's what they say. We were hoping it was Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. If you go to Acts 7.22, that is the description that Stephen has of Moses. I mean, that is a compliment, is it not? I mean, here's great, grandiose thoughts of Jesus. Here's who they thought he was. He's like Moses. I mean, he's got miraculous things that he did like Moses. He has amazing words. He gives the law like Moses. I mean, that is good, isn't it? It is. But it isn't good enough. 
because they really didn't know who he was. They didn't see him yet as God. See, there are those of you who are here this morning, and it's not that you don't like Jesus. It's not that you're against Jesus. No, not at all. In fact, you might even say, hey, he's a really good example. And if you follow him, you couldn't do worse. Oh, yeah, he's a wise teacher. You know some of the good things Jesus said? I think people should think about following them. Or maybe you think he's just a miracle worker and you go, wow, maybe Jesus could do some awesome things to change people's lives. But see, if you don't really know and you don't really see who he is, you'll never understand what he did. See, their minds had been seized and arrested by Friday fog. They never grasped the crucifixion. They could not see the significance of why Jesus had to die. They couldn't see how his cross death fulfilled their hopes. And so they lost them. And it says in verse 21, this phrase, hear it, but we had hope. It is a verb meaning for a long time. We were, we have been, and still we were, we were hoping for the longest time that Jesus would be the one. I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. I hate amusement park lines. I love the past thing, and they used to have it that you could go right to the front if you paid a little bit more. That's me. How many of you have got your tax return or how many of you are still waiting for it, right? Waiting for that. You're going to pay some things off. We wait in line in holidays behind the restaurant lines are so long. Waiting for the scholarship news to come in the mail, the letter that says that you've been accepted and you're getting it. We're waiting and we're still waiting for warmer weather. Waiting for a a better job, a better career, a bigger house, a nicer car. And we don't like to wait, but those things don't really, really dash our hopes. But we wait in the waiting room at the doctor's office, and we're waiting for the test results to come back. And our hopes are that it's clear, that everything's negative, And then we get the report back that it's not. In fact, it's cancer. See, we have hopes of getting the job we need to pay our mortgage that pays more. And we make the interviews and our hopes is in a new job. But we don't get that job. Someone else gets it. We're hoping that finally we're going to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And they turn out to be so wrong. We want the raise that we think we deserve, but it always lets us down. Oh, yes, we want the test results to say, finally, I'm pregnant. Finally, I'm going to have a child. My time is running out. I'm hoping that I can have a child. We can have a child soon. But it doesn't work. And we begin to think to ourselves, I'm hoping, I'm waiting. And then disappointment sets in. And we begin to wonder, is it worth the wait? See, that's what Cleopas is saying. You see, that's what him and Mary are debating his wife as they go down. We saw him die. And with his death, so in our hopes. Their hopes had become hollowed out. Have you ever been there? 
that you put your hope in this person, you put your hope in this career, you put your hope in this relationship, this diagnosis, this surgery, this cure, this job, and they get hollowed out. See, we were hoping. They were hoping that he was to be the one that was to redeem Israel. And it's a good word, redeem. But in the context of Luke, two or three different times, it always has national liberation connotations. See, what they wanted from Jesus, listen, because this is maybe you, what they wanted from Jesus was national freedom. They didn't think their problem was righteousness. They thought it was Rome. See, they looked around and said, you know what our real deepest need is? We need to change our situation. It was their situation, not their sin, that they were most concerned about. And so what they wanted is Jesus to come and be the kind of king, not who would die on the cross, but would put the Romans on one. Because they were blind. They're in a fog. And you know what the fog included? They thought that their greatest problems and their greatest needs were the physical problems outside of them instead of the spiritual problems inside of them. And so with that in mind, we come to church on Easter. And for some, we have hopes that in coming to church on Easter, we can do a little religious you know, deal with Jesus. I do something for you, come to church, and then you do something for me. So we come to church and we say, I'm listening. And so we ask Jesus, hey, I'm here. Could you solve some of my most major issues, things that are beyond my control that I really can't handle? And we think that our biggest need is finances. And so Jesus, redeem me, redeem me from my financial problems. Could you get me a little out of this mess I'm in? Or we think our biggest problems are relational and our marriage needs a quick fix. And so we come to church and maybe Jesus will listen if we do so. Or maybe we want a miraculous cure because the doctors haven't figured it out and the treatment isn't working. And maybe if I come and give Jesus a little bit, then maybe he'll do something for me. Because we think our greatest needs, not because they're not needs, but we think our greatest needs are money or finances or physical condition and health. And we begin to think in our minds, why do they keep preaching the cross? Can the cross really solve my real problems because the cross doesn't do something immediate for you it's not customizable you can't just get the cross to be kind of everything you want it to be and what you really think that you need is more than the cross has to offer and the reason is is because we're blind we have the wrong great expectations we have put our hopes in the wrong thing and perhaps even in jesus the wrong way it is so profound that Cleopas, in talking to Jesus, though he doesn't know it, he says to him, so matter-of-factly, he says, and besides all this, it's the third day since these things that happened, as if the third day was no big deal. Now, you read Luke's gospel three different times, three different times, chapter 9, 13, 18. Jesus had explicitly gone into detail with people who are following. Cleopas probably at least was perhaps there for one of them. If not, he was told. Here's what he says, that when I go to Jerusalem, they are going to crucify me and I will be raised on the third day. You see, the fog does this for you. See, it closes your eyes to the reality of Jesus and your greatest need and it makes you deaf 
to the words of truth that he has spoken. It's not because you haven't seen an Easter pageant. It is not because you have not heard a gospel message. It's because you cannot see and you cannot hear. So why would Jesus cause their eyes to be closed and they couldn't recognize him, verse 16? Here's the answer. Because look at verse 31. Because he closed their eyes because he wanted them to know that I'm the only one that can open them up. And in verse 31 it says, and he opened their eyes and they recognized him. It is the exact reverse of what took place in verse 16. He closed their eyes, now he opens their eyes. They're both passive, and here's what it means. If you are going to understand your greatest need, you have to see and hear Jesus for who he is and understand what he has done for you. Their dead hope became alive the very moment that Jesus opened their eyes Listen to the scriptures. Over and over in this passage, three different times, here's the answer to figuring out Easter. Here's the answer to the problems that you have in your life. You need to open the Bible, the scriptures. It will tell you the truth of exactly what you need, who Jesus is, and what he has done. And the moment that Jesus opens your eyes to the truth, Hope becomes alive. Nick Schweiler wrote a book in 2010, actually a true story. Maybe you've heard of it. It was on the news at the time it occurred. He wrote a book called Not Without Hope. He, at the time, was a 24-year-old personal trainer, and he worked with guys who were football players in the NFL. And three of his closest friends, Marquise Cooper and Corey Smith and Will Bleakley, we're going out on a beautiful day, at least it started that way, in Tampa, Florida, where Cooper had a 21-foot boat, and they were going to do some deep sea fishing off of his boat. And they had been out there for a couple hours, but they didn't see it coming, but a cold front was coming in, and the winds were beginning to pick up, and the sea was beginning to swell. And so they said, ah, it's not worth it. Let's call it a day. We're going to pack up and head back home. And so as they got ready, they made, as inexperienced boaters, they made a horrible, and he would say later, a fatal mistake. He said, the anchor rope, they tied it to the stern of the, the boat because the anchor wouldn't move. And in doing so, when they threw the throttle, throttle to try to jerk the anchor loose, it pulled the stern of the boat down under the surface of the water and it began to fill their boat completely. And it was so fast they could do nothing about it. And before they knew it, the entire boat and everything in it had completely capsized. They were out miles from shore. They didn't know what to do. And Nick Schweiler, when he wrote the book, would later say, that's the very moment that the nightmare began. All throughout the night, they did their very best to try to survive. They battled hypothermia, hallucination, hunger, dehydration, huge waves, shark sightings right next to their boat. And over and over again, Nick Schweiler, who had the only phone because there was no emergency gear, no food, no water, they had done none of those preparations. 
He called 911 over and over in his mind saying, 911 is supposed to work from anywhere. Didn't work from there. And he said he kept talking. He kept, here's his phrase, hoping against hope. But the only message he would ever get back is this, no service. No service. One by one, Nick Schweiler in his book describes that his friends, his three NFL friends, one by one, through hallucinations and inability to stay holding on to the boat, were drifted off into the waves, and he never saw them again. They had lost their hope. Nick Schweiler kept holding on to the boat, and 43 hours later, finally, the Coast Guard helicopter arrived, and to his shock, Nick Schweiler was saved. He was saved. Thus the book's title, Not Without Hope. Can I tell you this? Others around you this morning may feel like there is no hope, but in Jesus there is hope. You are not without hope when your eyes are open to the scriptures, when you see Jesus for who he is and what he's done. See, when hope becomes alive in your life, you'll know it. Here's why. Because you will change directions completely and it starts on the inside their biggest problem was not their situation and they've come to realize it their biggest problem was their sin and so the bible does this little contrast for us it talks about their hearts because he wants to know when you change when you get a resurrection hope it changes you not from the outside in but from the inside out and here's what it describes two heart conditions one in verse 25 look at the text They move from being slow of heart, Jesus says, to believe all the scriptures has said about me because they hadn't opened the Bible and they haven't seen it because their eyes were closed. But he says, I'm opening your eyes to the scripture and they are going to move from slow of heart to when he disappears at the table a a few minutes later. It says, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scripture? You see, it was a heart change that's what they needed the most it wasn't a problem on the outside not for them and not for you and me it was a problem on the inside and when God transformed their inside their hearts everything changed They were leaving Jerusalem, and now the text says they're going back to Jerusalem because here's what they found. They found in the place they thought their hopes were lost, they actually had come to the realization is that very place is where their hopes would be found. And see, maybe you've left the church, and maybe you said, I don't go to church anymore, I'm just here for friends today, and I'm not really religious anymore, or I go to church and my hope is in trying to be religious. And see, here's what they found out. They didn't go back to Jerusalem to go to the temple. They didn't go back to make sacrifices. They didn't go back to do something there. They came back because there was a person they came back for, not a place, and it was Jesus And the fact that he had died and resurrected, now, according to the scriptures, it was making sense in their lives. So let me ask you this morning, where is your hope? Maybe your hope is in your religiosity. Maybe it's the fact that you're Catholic or you're Lutheran or you're Methodist or you're Baptist. See, it's not your religious or denominational affiliation that Jesus is looking for. It's not 
your own righteousness. You know, Pastor Walker, I'm hoping, and I think I'm a pretty good person, and when I stand before God on Judgment Day, I'm really thinking, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. And, and I try to, you know, I try to put some dollars in the plate and I, and I try, you know, I've been baptized and I've even done a few of the sacraments and, I, and I've tried to come to church and see, it's not your righteousness, it's not your religiosity, it's not even those who have kept all the rules, it's not whether you broke all the rules, it's Jesus. See, Jesus is the only hope you'll ever have and he's the only hope that you'll ever need. And this morning as you're sitting here thinking about God and about the cross and about forgiveness and I hope about your own sin, are you asking to listen, how can I have forgiveness of sins? How can I have salvation? How can I have it? And maybe as the scriptures were open to you this morning, maybe your eyes are starting to be open for the first time. Maybe there's this burning in your heart for the reality that it's not what I thought. It's not my works. It's not churches, although they're good. It's Jesus. It's what he did when he died on the cross to take the penalty for my sins. He took my place. He was my substitute. It should have been me, and he took it for me. And when he rose from the dead, he proved that he has victory, and he has given hope to all that will believe in his name. And the question is, is that your hope? Perhaps your eyes are open and your heart is burning this morning, and if so, you know God is at work in your life. And he's wanting you to come this morning that you could find your hope, your faith, your trust in him. He is your only hope. The question is, do you see it? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, Perhaps you're here this morning and you're beginning to see. Oh, you've seen it before and you've heard it before. Perhaps the Holy Spirit of God and his sovereign grace is beginning to open your eyes and say, oh, that's what the Bible means. Oh, that's why he died and rose again. It was for me. For my sin, not my situation, not my hopes, but that I would put my hope in him. And you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Walker, I realize it's not my religion, my denomination, it's not how good or bad I am. It's about this truth, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and Jesus is my only hope. If your hope is in anything or anyone other than him, it's a false hope. But when you put your hope in him based on the word of God, your hope, which is dead, can become alive forever. And with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would you say by your upraised hand, Pastor Walker, I would like to put my faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone. I recognize he died and rose again to pay the penalty for my sins. And I want to repent of my sins. And I I want to seek his forgiveness. And and I want him to save me and then give my life to him. I understand. I see it. I, I hear it. 
and I want to know him as my Lord and Savior this morning. If that is the testimony and cry of your heart with every head bowed and every head, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, ma'am. I see you. Praise God. Someone else, I see your hand. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else in the balcony? I see you, young man. Pastor Walker, I've never put my trust in Christ. You know what? My hope has been dead because it wasn't real. It was false. But I realize Jesus is my only hope. And I want to put my faith and trust in him for my salvation. Anyone else will join these ones? Just raise your hand as we, before we close in a few moments and I'll pray for you as well. Anyone else? In just a moment, I'm going to be down front. And I'm going to ask those who raise their hand to do this. Don't hesitate, not even for a second. When the music starts, just walk down the aisle and just simply say, Pastor Walker, I'm going to put my hope in Jesus. And we'll have someone take a few moments and open the scriptures to you like Jesus did the couple and show you how his suffering led to glory and can for you as well. Would you do that? Would you come? We offer that and invite you to do that this morning. After our service is over, we have a booklet we want to share with anyone who would like to have one. Is Easter unbelievable? It is. And you can come and find out. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his sovereign work. Only you can open closed eyes. Only you can open closed hearts. And we pray that you would convict of sin and righteousness and judgment, and that you would bring the truth of the gospel to bear in the hearts of those in particular who raise their hand. God, give them humility, grant them brokenness for their true and greatest problem of sin, that they would walk down the aisle so that someone can take and open the scriptures to their heart and mind, that it might be the day of their hope becoming real. And we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' matchless name I pray. Amen.